Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Live Empowered series, Divorce is Not a Destination. Come here for all things divorce and beyond. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer, and in this episode, I chat with first-time author of the book, Finding True Love in a Prickly Pear World. She's inspired by God, and her name is Sherry Morrison. Sherry says it best. Being inspired by God is being able to understand that every hill and valley, every triumph and tragedy has the power to define us or inspire us. When we allow these events to inspire us, God can transform us from the inside out. Let's have a transformative conversation that helps you move forward in understanding that divorce is not a destination. the music and uh, see if we can get started here. And uh, thank you everybody who is here with us today. I see several people, our regulars are here. My mom is here, Nadine is here, and we have uh, um, our speaker's sister, Connie, is here with us today. So thank you for, for being on and, and kicking this show off with us. I am Dr. Lisa Summerhour, and I'm the host of Live Empowered. And today you are joining us for my series on Live Empowered called Divorce is Not a Destination. And I am really excited to have our guest today. Our guest is Sherry Morrison, and uh, she also goes by uh, Inspired by God. So you have uh, IBG. And I, when I say that, I always think of, uh, of uh, a rapper, like some notorious big or something like that. But this is inspired by God. And this is about her book. Today, we're going to be talking about her book. The show Divorce is Not a Destination is something that came about actually several years ago. Um, and I didn't talk about this on the first, uh, the first uh, of the series. Um, it came about years ago talking to a friend of mine who's a minister and a social worker. And we were just talking about relationships and marriages and things that she was dealing with with some of her clients. And in the conversation, I said, well, you know, divorce is not a destination. People don't typically walk down the aisle on their wedding thinking, I'll give it a couple of weeks. Um, so it's not usually something that we are planning to have happen. It's it's an event like so many other events in our lives that we we experience. The difference with divorce is that there is so much stigma and um sometimes shame and guilt around being divorced, that it makes living after a divorce really difficult. And so for me, the divorce is not a destination is about this isn't a place if, if this is an experience that you've had in your life, um, we want you to get through it and not be stuck in the vestiges of the divorce. You're still divinely inspired. You're still here called to be here for a purpose and to be able to live into that is really important. There shouldn't be any event in our life that we get stuck in to the point where we lose ourselves because of something that has happened to us. So it's something that, that, that happened to us. It's something we experience. It's not who we are and it's not how we should have to define ourselves for the rest of our lives. So that is how divorce is not a destination came about. And as you know, with live empowered, my goal is always to provide you with information, uh, education. Sometimes it might be entertaining, but it's information to help you think a little differently, maybe hear a perspective that's different from your own, always with the hope that you're going to experiment with your own life to look for those different paths of empowering yourself. And I do believe this, that empowered people empower people. And so I bring to you on this show people who are willing to share some of their life experiences so we can find out 
what was it that got you back to a path of feeling empowered to live your best life? And so I introduced you to today, uh, Sherry Morrison. Sherry, how are you doing today? Dr. Lisa, I'm doing awesome. All right, I'm turning my volume up. I want to make sure we can hear you. And I do see the fan going in the background, so I know I know it's it seems like it's intermittent, but hopefully we're going to catch the 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 your your audio. Um, I, let me just show you. I want to show everybody the book. And yes, you're going to see all of my tabs. <laughs> you're going to see all of my tabs in the book because I have tabbed and highlighted like crazy. <laughs> it's it's like a color coded thing going on in there, but my colorful tabs are in here. This is the book. If you look at my little fortune cookie tag or trailer down at the bottom, you're going to see um, finding love dot 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 prickly pear world because the title's so long, I didn't want it to have to go too far, but it's available on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon right now if you want and, and order your copy of, uh, of the book. The other thing that you'll see there is your website should be showing up there. And it's funny because I'm not seeing the website there. So I'm, I had it on there. So it's inspired by God, inspired by God. And I have to look over here because I had it up already. SLM. I didn't want to get the initials wrong. S as in Sally, L as in Lisa, M as in marriage, um, dot com. And that will take you to uh, the website. So I want to just start off first with the title, Sherry. Please tell us how you came to this title for the book, Finding True Love in a Prickly Pear World, The Search for a Love Worth Finding. <laughs> well, I, live in, I lived in Southern California and in the high desert. And so there were a lot of prickly pear cactus. I mean, that area is known for that. And I don't know, I just... I, I I just made the correlation. God gave me that word picture and I made the correlation. And originally the book was called Loving a Prickly Pear. But um, my husband kind of felt as if people would automatically assume that he was a prickly pear. So he asked me to change the title. <laughs> I, I can see that. <laughs> so I prayed about it and yes. And I prayed about it and God gave me this well, title. Well, I think the second title and, was the um, best title. Because mm -hmm. if you, yes, absolutely. And I think that the point of the book is to show that we're all prickly pears. So I tried to encourage him, but the title is better to and I think we're having a little audio. I don't know if there's an adjustment that you made on yours or or something. So I'll give you a second or so. It looks like you might have up oh, no, you're back now. I haven't touched. I haven't yep, touched. You're back. You just anything. came back. So thank okay. you for that yeah. with the title. And and for folks, if you didn't see the okay. cover that I just shared, um, the there's actually a picture of a cactus of the prickly pear right on here. And it's funny, I've seen these. I live in Southern California now, but I've seen these going through the desert. I did not know that's what they were called. I did not know that that's what they were called. So you start off so early in the book talking about divorce. So um, I was going to start there, but let me do this. Talk about the purpose of the book. And I'm actually going to go to the page where you share it. But I want to talk about your whole reason behind doing the book. Well, um, there are four words that I've kind of 
tagged as essential to the content of the book. And that is transformative, soul searching, hopeful, and world contrasting. Hmm. I wanted, uh, God, God put it on my heart to show how the world loves versus how he loves. And we are so far away from his definition. Mm. So it was, and, and we've been from birth, we've been far away. I mean, we're not taught to conditional, we're, we're not taught to unconditionally love. We're taught to conditionally love. And even as a believer early in my faith, I was on a performance track for God. I felt like I had to perform to earn God's love because that's how I was taught. About right. Love. You talk about that. And I on. also had expectations of others who loved me. Yeah. That they needed to do the same. And God has a way of bringing you around real quick <laughs> when you're on that track, because he's not on that track. Yeah. I want to, I want to read. <laughs> he's not, he's not there. He doesn't live there. I want to read what you what you wrote about, and it's under the section called Source of True Unconditional Love, but I like it because you talk about the purpose of the book. But you lead with this. I'm not here to give you advice or a magical formula for fixing your broken relationships. There are plenty of books available that promise to do that. This book is not one of them. She puts that in bold with an exclamation mark. It says the purpose of this book is to help you find true love in this prickly fair world. <laughs> We live in by introducing you to the source of true unconditional love. And so I, I like that you kind of dispel any myths or fantasies Amen. that there's going to, I'm going to give you 10 ways to have the best relationship ever. And your life will be perfect after that. And you're like, yeah, this is not that book. This is not that book. Can you share, uh, give us no. a, a, a kind of a synopsis no. of conditional versus unconditional love as, as you see it, the way you've written about it? What does conditional love look like? Okay. Um, well, conditional love has to be earned. It it's it has to be deserved. Um, it is it is um, manifested in performance, and it's fleeting, mm. and it can fail because it's based on the limit. The limited source, which is us, the fa the fallible source, which is us, <laughs> and we honestly, I will give anyone who loves me a thousand reasons not to, over the course of my relationship with them. So, if it's contingent, if someone's love for me or my love for someone is contingent on them, it will fail, and then it will fall short. Give us the. Because oh, go ahead, go ahead, and finish. Mm -hmm. It that's that's pretty much the sum of it. It's just that it's limited. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, we may be operating with a little bit of a delay. So if you hear gaps for us, we're trying to give each other a second to catch up on what we've heard, so we can respond. So we're we're paying attention, but we're dealing with technology. Um, so talk then about juxtapose that against oh, yes. what does unconditional love look like. Well, first of all, it's not contingent on us. Hmm. God loves us and he's never going to stop. It's not contingent on whether we love him back 
We don't have to earn his love. We will never deserve it. And it is limitless. It is infallible. It is extravagant. It is sacrificial. It doesn't have to be reciprocated. Um, and he pursues us when we're his enemy. He loves us even when we're his enemy. Yeah. And, and I have a question because we are talking about these darn humans, right? And so when you look at it from an unconditional perspective, <laughs> <laughs> from an, un, I, I can't remember, I was years ago, I had a conference and the speaker, I think the book was something like, everything would be fine if I didn't have to deal with these humans. Um, so when we're looking at unconditional, does that mean there are no expectations? Oh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why I asked that. Um, years ago, one a, a church that I went to, nope. uh, the pastor, one of the sermons one day, he was talking about God gave his only begotten son and he was using his marriage as an example, talking about how he was doing everything he thought he was supposed to be doing. All the bills were getting paid. There was a roof over their head. Everybody was clothed. And he didn't realize, didn't understand why his wife seemed to be getting a little, I'm going to use the term prickly. And he said, I had to go back to scripture myself and go, wait a minute. Um, God gave his only begotten son. So the, the, the biggest, uh, the most profound way that love was shown was that he gave his son. And he said, it, it dawned on me. I wasn't giving my wife some of the things that she needed. Like he says, I'm making money and paying all the bills, but she needed discretionary income so she could do some things on her own without me. And he used that, that story to explain why, you know, even in a marriage relationship, and maybe it wasn't an expectation on his wife's part, but maybe it was a coming to an understanding on his part that in order for him to really show love, giving is part of that and and whatever it is that you need to give so that that person feels whole is part of your maybe that's part of your role or responsibility as giving love and being able to demonstrate that love but to the question are there expectations in unconditional love or is that no expectations i don't believe that there are expectations I don't believe there are hooks or agendas or anything attached. It's, it's, um, if God, if God expected something from us, then I don't think it would be unconditional. I don't think his love would be unconditional. He already knows anyway, what we're going to do. Um, so we, we can't catch him off guard or disappoint him, but I really honestly, don't believe from the things that he has taught me about unconditional love that there are any expectations attached. I think it's all that he requires is surrender. All that he requires is me to just surrender to his lordship, surrender to him as savior, and allow him to come in like he says he does, comes in, he dwells in us with his Holy Spirit, and then he works through us, through that Holy Spirit, uh, you know, refining us and transforming us. 
He works through us in how we interact with others. It's kind of like, um, I see myself like in the old times when they used to have jars where they, where they would pour the ink into, mm -hmm. and then they would take their quill pen and that's how they would write. Okay. I'm a jar. That's how I see myself. I'm a jar and he pours everything of himself into that jar. And then he writes my story. He writes your story. He writes our story. It'll For be other people to read Jesus on our life. It, it'll be interesting. And, and at some point, people, if you have questions, you can you can uh, hit the little circle down in your lower left and request to speak. Um, and you can do it during or we'll we'll hold until the end if we're in the middle of something there. And, and, and this is there were so many areas in the book where I was like, this would be a great conversation to have with a panel um, because I, I don't I, I think I would probably question the expectation part when we're talking about relationships with other humans, because even in the marital relationship, there are expectations. And I guess I don't necessarily look at expectations as having to be negative. Um, they, they can still have have a positive thing. And I think it depends right. on um, that mutual communication. And you talk about something like that later with communicate. I think it's community. Well, we'll get to that one later. It's a communication and sex combo people. So stay tuned because this book <laughs> covers everything there. I mean, there are areas that you, you are a music lover. I'm, I'm going to assume that you are a music lover. Yes, right. I am. And, I, and I know that because at some point I'm reading and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's quoting Adele. And it's okay. Did she I just quote Tina Turner? Does she actually have a section called blur lines? It's like she, you, so you, you, uh -huh. yeah, you sneak little, uh, little lyrics from things in here. And some of them you, you point blank, just put mm -hmm. in there. But I, yeah, there, there were so many different areas where it caused me to think. And one of my, uh, one of my master's degrees is actually in Christian studies. So this was very interesting to me. Um, there were just so many twists and turns and things that I wasn't kind of expecting that popped out that made me kind of go, huh, this would be a great, uh, this just, this one thing could be its own entire conversation. So I, I, that was one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about the book, but I, I do think that the conversation for other people on here, I would be curious to know what your idea is in terms of relationship, because, you know, we're all going to fall short of trying to emulate um, or even mimic God's love for us. It's the goal, right? It's what we hope to be able to do um, with ourselves and then sure. be able to demonstrate that to others. But I think in our humanness, just as, you know, my mom used to tell us all humans are selfish. We all want what we want when we want it, how we want it. And she said, you know, in maturity, you start realizing, okay, I can't get everything like that. Um, but, but I think it does come down to a little bit of human nature and you try to grow out of that to some degree and not have it be the thing that, that rules you. But I, I would definitely be interested if, if anyone on here later wants to talk about where do they see expectation fitting into a marriage or that, or, you know, a relationship, even our relationship with, with God, do we have expectations for God and does he have expectations for us? Oh yeah. Hmm. Are there things that he wishes that we you would know, do? Um, because we know we have free will, but are there things that he wants for us to do? And we just, you know, obviously we just like messing up. We're very good at that. 
I I think that um, you know I come from expectations from a place of recovery. Ah, uh, okay. And when I was in recovery, my ther- my therapist at the time said expectations can be a way to set people up to disappoint you. Mm. Because if you have an expectation of someone, is that expectation truly, um, does it truly take in who they are? Or is it something that you're putting on them that you would like Mm -hmm. them to be? And so I I do tend to see expectations through a negative filter Mm -hmm. Because yeah, of that, that makes sense. Because I see, you know, that lots of times, lots of times when I've had expectations of people, I've set them up to hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> they've thank you. Disappointed me, or they've. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that, Sherry. Because that's, that's um, um, the uh, the 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 truth in that for you is there, and and it, and it's so funny that is so early in the book, but when I got to the the back pages where you're actually talking about. Um, um, I'm going to, uh, it's the sex and communication part. It's that it's the two things there. A- and when you explain, and I'm not going to give it away yet. Cause I want to talk about it a little bit later, but you talk about, this is what a woman can do. A wife can do for a husband. This is what a husband could be doing. When I'm looking at that relationship, those to me are realistic and fair and honest expectations for spouses to have for e- of each other. And I think in a relationship where it's, the communication is going well, right? And they have that understanding. I think that's a healthy expectation. So I, yeah. So, but I, but I definitely understand. So, what you just pointed out, I think, okay, is how we all come to understanding what just something like expectation could mean from our own backgrounds, from our own life experiences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that with God, it's like um, there was a saying, God doesn't, um, doesn't, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips those he calls. Mm -hmm. So, so he doesn't call the equipped. Mm -hmm. He equips those he calls. So that the resource is him. And so when that chapter about sex and communication and I don't see those as expectations. I see those as the way God designed love and relationship and marriage and interaction between spouses Mm -hmm, to be. mm -hmm. And so as I draw into him and I seek his face and I surrender to him, I see his word and I, understand it and I go oh so that's how this is that's what I'm supposed to to be doing right because I don't really bring anything to the equation yeah I I don't really bring anything to the equation most of the time as a human being because I've been trained to do quite the opposite of what I find in God's words so it's almost as if when I'm looking at conflict or uh, relationship issues or whatever, I've got to go to God and say, okay, how did you design marriage to be? How did you design me to function in that marriage? And if I don't know how to do that, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. going to have to teach me. You're going to have to help me. 
Because if this is your design, there's a reason for it. Whether my husband knows to expect that from me or not, or whether I know to expect that from him or not, it's, it's God's design. And when I function in his design, he's going to bless and he has, and I walk that personally. So expectations didn't get me there. Most often they set me up to be disappointed. Yeah, I think, but when I just, I think, and I think what you do, I think what you do really uh, do a great job of, of explaining and describing in the text is what it would look like in, in our, in our best state, in an ideal state where there isn't a need for an expectation because both individuals are coming to it, understanding what they are what, what <laughs> I'm going to say what God expects them to do, but what they've been designed to be able to do and how they are equipped to love when they're operating at their best. And I, and I guess, and I don't know if it's the, the, the coach, the Amen. coaching part of my brain or which part of my brain, cause I'm still always looking at us in our human dynamic, knowing that even in our ideal state, we won't sustain ideal hundred percent of the time, all the time. And so when people do slip back into that, oh, but I, I thought you were going to do blah, blah, blah. It's, it, it so comes into that being able to communicate and, and it being realistic. Um, so uh, let me, because uh, like I said, I could pick one section of this book and I could do the whole hour on it. You, you talk about love. <laughs> let me see here. Unconditional love defined. Um, let me see. I, ha- I have so many notes here. This is ridiculous. Actually, no, I want to go to, I want to go to an eye for an eye. I want to go f- to an eye for an eye because even in there, you touched on something that uh, it, it surprised me to see it in here, but you actually, you actually used it as, and talked about capital punishment and how that is not how things mm-hmm. were designed either. So can you speak to, can you speak to that? I'm, I'm actually turning to it in the book right now. It says the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth justification that is often used to support capital punishment has a much broader application regarding patience than we realize. So talk about how you looked at that yes. as patience being the opposite of retaliatory mentality, of a retaliatory mentality. Well, I go into it at length when I talk about the Greek word for patience and how it is not a retaliatory um, verb, the, the Greek definition means it doesn't seek to retaliate when it is, a, when someone, um, when, the, you know, someone offends us or someone hurts mm-hmm. us, it's, um, there's no retaliation in it. And this was so often we, you know, we feel as human beings that when someone offends us or hurts us, that we have this innate right to right Re- get retaliate <laughs> or punish, <laughs> revenge. yeah, revenge. Something, and something's got to happen to them for that. Yes, and we use this scripture as Christians. We use the scripture to just justify our actions, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, kind of thing. Yep. That's what the Word of God says. So when I get revenge, that's what I'm partaking in. That's the so, page you're going to rip out and hold so up. Often, 
The saddest thing to me is when the enemy comes along and twists scripture to get it to where we end up end up acting out scripture in an ungodly way. Oh, well, we can, <laughs> we can, that, again, that's a whole nother hour and then a series all by itself. Um, so what, what I loved about that when I read it is, <laughs> is because I don't know right. if it's been a couple. There's a lot, there's a lot. Oh, in sure. scripture. Yeah. Well, we can, we can, you can just put all of, uh, enslaving folks, uh, you know, in the way that it was done, done, done here. Um, under that because the Bible was used a lot to justify that. But what got me about you speaking about capital punishment is because it, it's probably been in the last month mm -hmm. I was watching a program on uh, prison systems and they were talking about what would what would our prison systems look like if they were being operated from a place of love and healing as opposed to a place of pun punishment. Now, even though we call them... Um, I, you know, and I, I'm going blank on, on what we Amen. actually refer to prisons right now because the word doesn't mean anything because that's not what we do. Um, it'll, it might come to me, but we don't restore people in jail. We don't, oh, we don't really rehabilitate them. Um, we don't prepare them to come back out here and be good citizens because we think they're supposed to be punished. So some of the things that have been removed were educational programs, um, skill-based programs. There are so are, programs that were art-based that were actually decreasing recidivism. And I know we just lost Sherry's image, but I'm going to trust that. I still see her here in the room, so I'm thinking she can hear us and she'll come back in. Um, and so all of these things that have been in some prison systems, and all, not all of them are gone, but some really, really good and effective ones that were increasing the likelihood of people not returning to prison have been taken out because people in power said, well, if, if you can go to jail and go to college and get education from college professors, maybe I should tell my kid to rob a bank and then I won't have to pay for college. So we really do what you speak to. We really do seem to have a problem with not just the patient's part of that, but demonstrating love and kindness to someone who's done wrong, even when we're they're paying retribution for the wrong that they've done. So we've already incarcerated you. So you, you're literally doing your time. And we don't even find it in our hearts at that point to say, this was the perfect opportunity to help transform this person's life. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, I want to talk about these two things now. Well, uh, yeah. Oh no, I go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm the delay is still here. So I, I need to give you time to hear. And I just, I worked with a mm. prison ministry and you could watch the transformation in the four days that we were there. What were you, what, what was it a women's prison, a, a men's prison? What were you doing in the, the what were you doing? It was the Kairos prison hmm. ministry. And I was the worship okay. leader for the four days. And um, it was, it, the people, you know, when we first came into the prison, I mean, they'd have their arms folded and they'd be like, oh, you're not changing me. <laughs> And by the end of the four days, they were on their knees and just falling their eyes out. Everybody was hugging each other. And it was just, it was just an incredible friend. Um, well, how long did you, how long did you do that work? Was it a one-time 
was that a one-time opportunity or were you doing the, the work in the ministries for a while? I want to give Sherry a chance here to adjust and see if we can get her audio back. So I know she had told me a few days ago, she's in a rural area. So, and I'm, I'm sort of in a rural area myself. So I'm glad right now that I actually have, um, a, a good connection, but I know we were a little concerned that this might happen on and off. So we're going to give her a second to come back. Sherry, if you see if you can talk now, if we can hear you, I see your video is off right now, but let me see if we can hear you. There you go. So I'm going to get to there now. Page four, is this page 44? I think it's page 44. Let me see here. Yes. Acts of kindness, acts of kindness, critical, critical to the survival of marriage. And you give two sex and communication. Um, I want you to talk about these two things and why they're so important. Well, I, I made a comment in the book that they are the um, essence of true intimacy and unconditional love is required for both. Uh, they are, uh, especially sex is to be self. Uh oh, you were, you were clear and now we're getting. I'm going to have you repeat that again. There, there were, there were two, there were the essence of love and the essence of love and intimacy. So I'm going to have you start there and pick up. Hopefully we'll get you, get you clear. Okay. Now let's see if I can, can you hear, hear you now. now. Yes, actually I hear you now. So let's, let's keep it like this for can a while. You? It might be, it might be okay. having the video and audio is too much on your system. That's right now. perfectly fine with me. Okay. Yes. <laughs> She's, She's, she is Miss Incognito, I will say that. And I, and I, before I even forget, because I was sharing this with, uh, I meet weekly with two friends of mine in the accountability group, and I was sharing their book with your book with them today. And I said, her name is not in this book anywhere. And they were like, get out of here. They were like, not even on the author's page. I was like, not even on the author's page. So, so, okay. So the two, the, the acts of kindness critical for the survival of a marriage, sex and communication. They are the essence of love and intimacy with one another. So talk more about that. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, it is a, especially sex is a, it is toast. It's supposed to be a selfless exchange. It's supposed to be other focused. Um, that's how God designed sex to be. And there's a lot of uh, scripture in this particular section that, reflects on that, that I'm, my body is not my own. When I marry and I, I give my body to my husband and it is his, and his body is not his own. So let me, while Sherry's getting back, I want to share one of some of the statistics that she shares in here. She says that sex is, sex is the norm. Sex is the norm outside of marriage for all but 3% of dating relationships in the United States. So what that means is 97% of people in dating relationships in the United States believe that sex outside of marriage is the norm. Um, and she says this, uh, let me see if I can go to this page here. So I can, my, my thing printed up and I'm missing it. It says she attributes some of this to the sexual revolution of the seventies, eighties and nineties that it, did a lot to free us from the stigma attached to premarital sex. And then she goes on to even include bisexual and homosexual behavior, living together, divorce, pornography, and even R-rated pornography. Um, 
So I think you're back because I can hear you. And I just thought that statistic of 97% of the people in dating relationships in the U.S. think that the norm outside of marriage, and look, you and I have so much in common with this. We've both been divorced more than, you know, been uh, divorced before, more than one marriage. You got really close to your the current your current marriage not making it. Um, you're raising daughters, so all of this stuff is is really relevant yes. for you. Um, but what is some of the advice or information? And I, I wrote, I typed some of this up. I printed this up. Um, oh, and I would probably add to the 70s, 80s, and 90s the sex revolution. A huge change in social norms happened with the advent of birth control pills. So I think, and, and so all of that gets kind of yes. connected into that sexual revolution because um, women, women being able to work without worried about being concerned with getting pregnant. And, and initially when the birth control pill came out, it was only for married women. So even in, in marriage, for women to be able to have the ability to control when they had children so that they could work or do anything because companies didn't have to hire you if you they they were if you were if you were pregnant. Um, so all of those things kind of converged at the same time. So I, I would probably look at them as a a, um, a cross section or a intersection of all of these things happening happening and it, and probably some other things as well during those those decades. But what are what are some of the things that you look at when you're talking about sex and communication and how and I know most people understand that those things are important, but I don't know that they ever really break them down to understand the hows and whys. Um, uh oh, we just lost you again. I can tell that you're talking, but we can't hmm. make out what you're saying. Okay. And now you're back. Can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. Okay. The book talks a lot about God's design for the sexual relationship, God's design for communication, why they are very important, and why they cannot be neglected, because if they are, it will cause problems in marriage. Um, the world has sent a lot to sabotage those areas of the relationship. And I go into great detail in that in the book. Because I want people to understand. I want people to have a, a blueprint that they can look at and go, hmm, yeah, I see how that's affected the way I respond to my husband. Mm -hmm. Or I see how I have... Um, allowed myself to communicate this to my husband instead of finding a way to communicate this. Mm. It's, it, it's imperative that we understand what's wrong because we can't fix it if we don't understand what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. With can't, it. can't fix what we want. And so face. there is, that's right. And the, and the Bible is full, you know, some people think, you know, all oh, the Bible's, you know, it's too, written 2,000 years ago or whatever, and it really doesn't have a lot to say. But personally, it has a whole lot to say about marriage, about intimacy. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but in the book, I talk about the fact that a man in biblical times was given a year off from war and work 
for the sole purpose of learning how to satisfy, satisfy, satisfy his, his wife. His wife. Mm-hmm. So it, how important was it to God? <laughs> Pretty important. Yeah, we, we can't even it get, wasn't, it, we can't get six weeks off for, for giving birth to babies in some places. So, yeah. Right. You know, so orgasm to God wasn't supposed to be rare. Well, it was supposed still, to be. Yeah. And you still see that, you know, even in, in um, people who practice Ju- 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 Judaism, um, when you see the covenants that they draw up or the, the, the documents or the way that they draw things up once they're married, it even includes, you know, sex. So, you mm-hmm. know, that's probably, you know, that's a tradition or part of their, their heritage that has carried through forever that that's something that we're going to talk about and we're going to we're going to have a conversation we're going to communicate about what this we want this to look like in our marriage so that we can hold each other accountable and be accountable to god because this is all being done basically as part of the marriage covenant um so i I think a lot of people would find that interesting um like you said to actually look in scripture and see what does the Bible actually say, or what what were some of the common practices, and how do how how far away are we from that now? Mm-hmm. And all of the baggage that we bring in, that many of us, once we get married, it's like, oh well, you know, I did it wrong for all these years, but now I'm married, and they don't realize that all that baggage affects their current marriage. And I talk about that in the book. I say mm-hmm. they need some restorative work. They need to uh, you know acknowledge what? that. You just made me go all the way back to page five. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to flip all the way back to page five because you. Just, I just had a light bulb go off. Because the other thing we have in common is therapy. Um, I, I tell people, I, I, years ago, I had a, a woman who was a, a psychologist and she said to me, she had moved a couple of times and she said, one of the first things I do every time I move, my gift to myself is I find a good therapist. She said, and I'm a therapist, but I always have a good therapist. And you, the only names that are in your book are the names of two of the Christian counselors that you worked with. And, and I mm-hmm. would just at this point say to people, you know, it is never too early or too late to get a therapist. It's just never too early or too late. So could you share how, mm-hmm. how it helped you to have a therapist? And, did, and I know you mentioned two in the book. Were these at two different times? Or was this around the same time period? Or what was the reason you had two? And how beneficial was it for you to have a therapist? Well, in, especially in my first, um, at the end of the chapter one in my first part of the story, my personal story. I talk about, especially I think in the first two chapters, I go a lot into my recovery process. And I spent a great deal of time in therapy. I came from dysfunction off the charts. Um, this is all my highlights in that of every section. kind in my background. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went to through an experimental process of going into a psych facility for six months for intense therapy. And that was compared to like 10 years of outpatient therapy. Mm. I was very blessed to be able to do that. The, my insurance covered that it was over a quarter of a million dollars. Um, but 
God had to, I was a tough cookie. I had 50 foot thick walls that I wasn't letting anyone behind, including God. And he put me in that recovery pro program to bulldoze every one of those walls down <laughs> and um, to make me, and to make me face my past and all the skeletons in every closet were revealed. And I had a lot of looking in the mirror and, and I do a lot of that in the book as well. Yes. Yeah. I'm always um, open and transparent about who I am and the mistakes I've made. And um, because I don't, I don't want people. I want people to be able to relate Mm -hmm. to the struggle of walking the truth of God's word. It's tough. It's very tough. And it goes against every fiber of our flesh when we do. But the the benefit of having a therapist, for me, especially a Christian therapist, is the accountability. Mm -hmm. Because a therapist will give you, they don't hold the answers. They right, ask you right. the right questions. And then they force you to do the hard work of looking in the mirror and figuring it out and facing yourself. And it is a difficult process. I will not lie. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to go through recovery, but I walked, I walk in freedom today because of it. Mm -hmm. I, no, I, I one of being the, able one of the things I appreciate about how you set the book up uh, for those of you who have already ordered it, cause it's on Amazon right now. Um, or those of you who will get it later, um, Sherry ends each chapter with a personal story. So she takes you through whatever the subject matter is for that section, for that chapter. And then she, she shares with you her personal story as it relates to that, that subject matter for that chapter. So you do come through this book almost like you've read two books. Excuse me. It's like you, you got this one book on you know, um, searching for a love worth finding. And, and, and basically it's understanding the, the powerful, important role that God plays in our lives to make sure that we're loving him the right way. And, and more importantly, I think you point out allowing him to love us, receiving that love so that we can have it pass mm -hmm. through us so that we know how to share that type of love with other people. And it's, this is working, uh, focusing mainly on relationships, but Love, marriage relationship, but this is every relationship. It's our friendships. It's our siblings. It's mm -hmm. the people we work with. It's, it's being able to be in that, uh, that vertical alignment with God's love so that you can have these horizontal relationships with people here that are reflective of his love coming through us. And so to be able to have that aspect of the book, book and then for you to share your own story um, it, it really is like having two stories in one because you basically could have written a book just about your story. Right. But if I hadn't, if I hadn't placed the content before it, um, I think it would have, it would have, um, miss connecting people to the source. Right. The book reads, because the book reads like this. <laughs> it's this line and then it's that line. <laughs> Absolutely. And he's that's how he has worked everything in my life. He has done the vertical thing first. Um, 
and then he takes what he pours into me and he pours it into those around me. And, and, and I'm a faulty vessel. And I allude to that a lot in the book. (laughs) Um, I'm still a work in progress, but I am amazed at what God can do with a life yielded to him. I am amazed. I want to share back even when I read the book. Okay. I'm going to actually, you're going to, I'm going to go there now. So you, you, first of all, thank you. Cause I, I didn't even get this in the, in the beginning. So Sherry and I met, was it, it's been about two months. Has it been two months, three months? Sherry and mm-hmm. I met, I, I was a keynote speaker at a graduation at Villa Maria college in, in uh, Buffalo, New York. And um, your daughter was graduating, right? Yes. Yes. So we, we met after the graduation, just at the outside having cake and, and, and soda or whatever it was drinks. And she came over and she's telling me about this book and can she send it? And I was like, sure. I didn't realize until we talked a few days ago that I am the first person to read this book. <laughs> I was like, no pressure, no pressure. So thank you for, um, when you said you, you had, uh, I think you said when I was speaking that God tapped you and said, you, this is one, this is the a person you need to get a copy of the book to. I thought I was one of the people that you were getting a copy of the book to. I didn't know I was the first person you were getting a copy of the book to. So it just really touched. Thank you for just entrusting me with this and then agreeing to come on, on the the show here so that I can interview you. Um, I, 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 I love the way that you did this. I love that it's the vertical and then you share, you share your story. I want to, I want to share with them the two of the things that you shared in this section on um, truth, truth. And you gave some advice to women. It says, you, you talked about, well, first of all, you said, this is what happened to you. And this is under the forgetting how to be a woman that stirs the heart of their man. And you said, this happened to me. So again, she's, she's like so honest in this. You're going to be like, wow, she actually wrote that. Um, and she said, if this is true for you or true of you, take some time and rediscover who you are as a woman. It's important for you to feel confident about your desirability and comfortable with your sex sexuality. She said, then get your flirt on and pursue your after your husband. So I just love that you actually say, get your flirt on, but she doesn't just talk to women. She goes down in the next paragraph and says, Men tend to get so busy with their careers being that being a husband and a father, they forget how to be a man that stirs the heart of their woman. So men don't stop chasing after your woman just because she's your wife. Ask her out on a date every once in a while. And I don't know if you, if you got to research couples or since you have written the book or while you were writing it, if you were having an opportunity to speak to couples or you picked up some research, how often did, have you found that people stop dating after they get married? Um, a lot, a lot, too high a percentage, too high a percentage do. They get, um, they get kind of lost in the drudgery of work and raising a family and mm. house, you know, the stuff that needs, needs to be taken care of and bills and everything else, but they forget 
they, in other words, they, they become redefined into whatever this role now presents itself to be like wife, mm-hmm. mother, you know, so on it's housewife or whatever, because I was a stay at home mom. Um, it redefines you and you get caught into that groove and it's really difficult to get out of. But what you don't realize is that the enemy is all over that. <laughs> He's literally sabotaging your relationship from every, from every direction until all of a sudden, you know, 20 years into your marriage, you wake up and go, I don't even that person? know this person. I don't know how to talk to this person. Mm. Yeah. Who is this? Yeah. Or who am yeah, I who, in the mirror? Who, right. Who, well, I, I mean, you don't even know yourself. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, have a, I used to wonder, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, I used to wonder my mom, we would laugh when we'd hear women had to go find themselves. I get it now. <laughs> like I, I, I kind of, I kind of get it now. Can, you in the book, you refer to yourself several times as being a relationship addict. At one point, could you set to explain to the audience what's a relationship addict? Okay, well, the term for for addiction is looking for external means to meet internal needs. Relationship addiction is probably one of the most prominent addictions, but it's rarely addressed. A relationship addict looks to relationships, external relationships, to feed an internal need for approval, acceptance, happiness, well-being, security, all of that. And the problem is, is that for me, as raised in a very dysfunctional home, seeing dysfunctional relationships, all I knew to bring to a relationship was dysfunction. Mm, mm. <laughs> so I just drew dysfunctional relationships, needy um, relationships for a long time, for a long time. And until God just helped me to understand that I needed to unplug from all of that and I needed to plug into him. Mm-hmm. Because he wasn't dysfunctional. <laughs> right, right. He wasn't dysfunctional and he wasn't going to breed a dysfunctional, dysfunctional relationship with right. me. He, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that because I've been, uh, yeah, when you've been married and divorced and, and married and divorced and whatever, uh, when you see that line, you're like, hmm, gotta de- I got to delve into that and see, you know, when I, when I got into recovery, right? Um, there's another line that you have in here that just stopped me in my tracks because I said, this is really interesting. And I so appreciated you for writing it the way that you did. I didn't put the page number here because I literally just typed the whole thing out. It said, but what if God's will made divorce necessary for him, God, to achieve his greater purpose for my husband and me? And I thought, wow, that's going to blow some minds at Bible study. What if God's will made divorce necessary? I got to have you speak to that because I know some people are like, that would never be God's will. And so look, and I'm sorry, let me, what I came to, what that made me, what that made me consider was we don't know God's will. And we like to say, Well, well, you know, that we, that we, we, this is God's will. And and it's always what we want it to be. (laughs) 
but we don't know God's will. So how do we limit it to only what we think makes sense? So when I read that, I was like, wow, she just expanded the possibilities of God's will to something that people like, but he hates divorce. Yeah. And he can still have a purpose for that in your life. That's what this read for to me. So I wanted to know when you wrote it, what were you thinking? Okay. I have been taught that God has two wills. He has a perfect will and he has a permissive will. Mm. What I was referring to there was his permissive will. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when, I, you know, here I married my second husband in dysfunction with all of the components of relationship addiction still entrenched. Mm-hmm. And so I made a dysfunctional choice when I, please don't take that in the wrong way, but when no, I no. made I, a choice I get, to marry I, trust my husband. Me when I say, when I say <laughs> I get it, I get it. Okay, so here I am at this very vulnerable time and realizing that a lot of the components that we started our relationship on were faulty and screwed up and we made a mess of it. How did I expect it to turn out? And was, had we made such a mess of it, not that God can't do miracles because he did a miracle. The point of the book is to show Mm -hmm. that he did a miracle. But the thing was, is that I I had to realize that my husband did not want the marriage to survive. He had already given up hope that it could. Mm -hmm. And so I had to be willing to respect that decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And if he did not come back into the relationship, and if he did not give our marriage a second chance, then... Even in that, God could still work. Right. And I had, right. and I believed that it was it. It's not was it his perfect will? No, because you're right. God hates divorce, but could it be his permissive will? Could he be mm-hmm. using it to do a work in my husband separate from me? Absolutely. Right. No, that's I, why I Romans eight twenty. Go ahead, Romans. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who Who love the Lord. Yes. Um, God causes. I I really, I appreciated you writing it the way that you did, because I think people need to hear that. They need to read that. Um, I, I also, a whole, it could be a, it could be a whole nother book chapter or something that you know we we have as a society and as a predominantly christian culture um um we believe we we make the assumption that every marriage had god in it from the beginning <laughs> right mm. and, and so there, you know we we hold this oh but god's not going to like it because what god has brought together and it's like you just assume that god brought that marriage together anyway and so there's a whole there's a that's a whole nother thing of research for me and conversation on that one where you know we we just think because two people went to a chapel in las vegas while they were drunk that god put that together just because they ended up married and and that is one assumption, mm-hmm. but I, I love that you give people this 
this other perspective to go and and I think you you worded it perfectly. It's his perfect versus permissive. Yes. Perfect versus permissive. So mm -hmm. you talk about communication. Um, oh, this is one of my favorite ones. Love uh, the acts of becoming. What is a love that acts becomingly? Becomingly. I got to turn to page 113, people. Hold on. Got on my little pages tabbed here. So this is what you write about a love that acts becomingly. And we're, we're, we're wrapping up, but I, I love this part. Uh, so what might a proper, decent, and honorable love look like? Well, the definition that God brought to mind is to think, speak, and act in such a way that respectfully cherishes, cherishes supports, and protects the character, integrity, and virtue of yourself and others with the utmost consideration for the unique and individual values, beliefs, opinions, and feelings held by both. What I liked about that, well, there are a lot of things I liked about it, but what I liked about it was it's not too far, I think, after that, that you actually talk about diversity and us being able to appreciate the diversity that other people come. I work in the diversity space as well. And so when I read that, it actually made me think of the diverse populations that I go into corporate America and deal with because they don't know how to play nice in the sandbox. And it's that love that mm -hmm. acts becomingly. I may have to start asking people, I need you to act more becomingly. Um. <laughs> I don't know that they'll really understand what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth a shot in the dark. What would you say to um, a couple reading this book or someone reading this book who's in a relationship, but they're not married? Because a lot of this is really applicable from a biblical perspective and the way you've written it, it's applicable to married people. So what would you tell a single person reading this book? This message is brought to you by the Get Ready to Work workbook, providing everything you need to know before your next interview, especially if your next interview is your first interview. The Get Ready to Work workbook is for you if you need help preparing for job interviews. It's a book and a workbook in one that combines education and information gathering. You'll be more confident and have the tools to be more prepared for your next interview. The Get Ready to Work workbook is available on Amazon.com. Get your copy today. Now, back to today's show. What would you tell a single person reading this book? Well, you know what? I really didn't intend for it to just be marriage focused. Okay. Because I do think that this issue with unconditional love mm -hmm. needs to be resolved between you and God first in order for you to be able to give it to others. Mm -hmm. We give it, we have the opportunity to um, share God's love with whomever we meet, whether it's our friends, our, our kids, our, um, our coworkers, understanding God's unconditional love and being able to give that to others could change everything. Everything. About, about the environment we live in. Mm -hmm. So as a single person, I would say it's really imperative that you understand God's definition for love. And it's really imperative that once you understand his definition, that you are able to assimilate that in your relationship with him, that you're able to embrace his love for you. And when you have that, then you will have it to share 
with, with the other whomever. person that you mm-hmm. have whomever because yeah. I, I that's why I think it's so important in the day and time that we live in because I don't see anyone addressing the lack of mm-hmm. unconditional and, love and, and part and of the said, reason and go ahead go ahead Sherry he said in his word you will know that they are my disciples by the way they love one another and if we don't get this right if we're not able to be the the vehicle that god delivers his love to those around us we're we're not going to make it as a society yeah it's the hell in a handbasket yeah yeah and the reason I, I brought that up is because a lot of this, you talk about your marital relationship, but yeah, you, you do talk there. There's a lot of this, a, a lot of information in here for a single person, for any person to get that relationship right. I think I was thinking more when, when, uh, when that 97% of our society that's having sex outside of marriage or that believes that it's okay. And I can raise my hand there because been there, done that, bought that t-shirt and a matching hat. Um, yeah. When they read this, there's this tendency to think I'm single, but I'm in a relationship. So I can, I can apply this to my life when I'm looking at the communication and sex. Can you speak to the, the potential, I don't want to use the word dangers, but the downside to being in a relationship and, and treating it like a marriage relationship before it is. Oh gosh, there's a lot in there's a there's some really hard stuff in the book about that. Because God designed the sexual relationship to be in the covenant of marriage. Period and the subject. I wish I could be politically correct, but I can't. He designed the sexual relationship to be between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. Anything outside of those parameters you're walking outside of his will. You're walking in dangerous territory because all that that ha- all happens with that is it becomes um, something that the enemy can use to convolute your relationship with that person. And, you know, I, I did a, there's some statistical data about uh, divorce versus how many sexual partners you've had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it says that um, the one who has the less opportunity to, to end in divorce is the person who has zero partners. The person who has more than 10 partners, the stats are like 85% possibility mm-hmm. that they will be divorced. Um, we have, you know, like I said, we, we've embraced anything goes and sex outside of marriage is fine. And nobody wants to talk about that from the pulpit, but we are seeing the devastation of that. We are seeing the devastation and it's carnage. It's just carnage. Yeah. I I wanted you to be able to speak to it because I know it's such an important part of, of what you wrote. Um, I'm looking now at absolute truth about Jesus and couple of things I want to share about the book that um, Sherry's done. There are, there are, there are, there's research in here. So you're going to get to areas where she gives you research. She gives you some statistical information. 
the absolute truth about Jesus. Um, these two pages I could have just ripped out and eaten or something because because you give all of this information. <laughs> it says science speaks that mere coincidence cannot explain all of these being fulfilled in one man. So talk about the it says in the book Evidence Demand a Verdict. Talk about what you did in this section, the absolute truth about Jesus. Well, what I did was um, I love apologetics and I've read, you know, Josh McDowell's work. I've read Lee Strobel. I've read some of C.S. Lewis's books and in the apologetic sense. And these men came in as atheists. They wanted to mm -hmm. disprove Christianity and they sought to do that, but they encountered Jesus in the process and they could not, they could not dispute it. And they came to know Christ because of their research. And a lot of people think that Christianity is this blind faith, that mm -hmm. it's just faith in faith. <laughs> uh, I do not have a blind faith. I have a well-researched faith. Um, Jesus, there is more historical data to prove Jesus's life, death, and resurrection than any other historical event in history. He is a historical figure. He is not some religious idol or some religious, you know, thing that we just made up. Yeah, he's not a fairy tale. He's real. And everything he did, and, and the one thing that was critical to them coming, each one of those coming to Christ, was the resurrection. They came head on to this tomb that was empty and the disciples risked their lives. And if it had been a lie, they would not have risked their lives for it. But they, well, I, it, all of them <clears throat> met horrible deaths to maintain that. And not to say, not to mention the 500 people that saw him walking after he was crucified. So there's just... The fact that for him to just do, just be able to fulfill six of the 300 and some prophecies that he fulfilled is, what is it? One to the 17th oh, power? One to the 17th. I, I had the three, six, nine, yeah, 12, 15. Yeah, 17. One to the 17th. It's, yeah. it's a huge number of people. You're going to have to just get the book and look yeah, at it. It's just like... It. <laughs> No, this, this section so was, is... this section is, is, is great. And I'm glad it's toward the end of the book. Um, I, I don't know, maybe some, I, maybe you should have put it in twice, like right at the very beginning and then back where you had it for those people. But you know what? Everything isn't for everybody at the same time. And the people that are going to read it, that get to this point, they're the people that needed to see it. And they'll, and the people that need to see it will get to this point. Um, I just appreciate it again, you putting, you know, this kind of documentation in there. So folks who are struggling with their faith or if they are atheists and they're looking at this book on, eh, they're going to see names that they recognize. Um, but I, I have had the term apologetics thrown at me as an insult. So I, I kind of chuckled when I saw it uh, <laughs> uh, because I had given someone mm -hmm. uh, something to read at one point And it was sort of like, oh, I knew you'd come back at me with this apologetic stuff. But, you know, if you, you if you're a believer and this is what you believe, then it makes sense to you and it makes sense for you. 
and we realize that we are not living in all of his perfection and that we're going to fall short and we'll do something maybe tomorrow that's outside of what he would have us do. Um, but it, it, it gives us that hope. And you talk about the hope in the book as well. So I just want to, uh, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up, but I want to give people who are in the audience, does anyone have any comments or questions uh, for Sherry? Again, you're going to see the book is available on Amazon. Sherry's website is inspired by God. And you're going to see again, like I said, on the book, instead of her name, you just see IBG inspired by God. So this was a, this was a, a passion for her. And it was something that she did in obedience to a prompting that she got from God to get this book done. So thank you for the time um, and the work that went into this. Cause there's, there's a lot, this is a meaty book. It's a, it's a meaty book. Um, I don't see any questions. I do want to, I do want to ask you, I end my shows with, with what went wells. Um, and the, the first one is just today, just, just think about today and what kind of things happened in your day today. And, and what was something that went well for you today? Well, what went well for me today was being with you, Dr. Lisa. Oh, you are, you are a godsend to me. And I know that it wasn't a chance meeting. It was a divine appointment. And I feel incredibly, incredibly blessed by Thank you. you. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Thank you. I thank you to, to be part of a, what went well is take my, what went well is very seriously, but thank you for that. Thank you so much. No, it definitely was. It was definitely a a divine thing because it was just kind of a weird thing that we even connected after that ceremony because there were so many people there. The fact that we were right there to have that conversation Mm -hmm. and thank you for actually sending the book. Um, Okay. My next, what went well, is the last week. What over the last week would you look at and say, you know what, that's something that went well this week? Um, I got to share with my husband yesterday. And we had a wonderful hour conversation. And I don't get to do that very often. That's I'm counting that as one of those dates that you talk about in the book. So good for you because you're practicing what you're teaching. And then I Mm -hmm. I ask people to go back even further. You can go back the last year or now if you want to just look at your whole life and kind of if you were thankful for one thing that has just that's just going well for you right now, what might that be? Um, Since we moved to Brazil, Indiana, I have had I have four walk-in closets. Don't don't laugh, okay? <laughs> and no judgment. I have made one of. I, I I have I've made it's the only house that I've ever been able to make a war room in it. Mm. So I've taken one of my closets, or actually one of my rooms, and made it a war room. And this is the first time I've ever been able to do that in my life. Okay, you're going to have to tell for tell some people what a war room is. I have a girlfriend that has a has a prayer closet and I I actually built her a a whole prayer closet out of another room. I built her a closet, but she said now it's a prayer closet that she can actually run around in if she wants. But tell people what a war room is. Uh, 
if they haven't seen the movie, they're not familiar with it's, it. It's it's a it's a place of a prayer. It's a prayer closet. It's where you go um, to just meet God, and and He doesn't disappoint. Very good to pray, and to pray. Yeah, to... and it's just been. It's just been awesome. I mean, it's, it's, I've asked, I, when I set it up, I said, Lord, I, I'm not sure how to war, but I'm, I'm sure you'll teach me. <laughs> and he, and he has taught me and I've just seen incredible prayers answered because of it. And I'm just blessed. I'm just incredibly blessed. <laughs> Well, I am going to, I'm going to let you wrap up if you have, if you have one more thing before I wrap up, what is, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience or uh, just say about the book or anything before, before we wrap up? I just want to thank you for the opportunity to um, share about the book. It is real close to my heart and and I just know that um, God has a purpose and a plan for it. And you have been an instrument of his to be able to um, share it with the people that uh, are very near and dear to me. I see them on the bottom, you know, my sister and mm -hmm. Anne and Pam. And um, like I said, I, I, I couldn't have imagined sitting down and having an interview about it, but I am just blessed that you gave me the opportunity to do that. Well, I, I think you did great. And I, I'm going to ask, you know, because your sister, Connie, is there anything that you want to say to your sister after hearing her interview? If you hit that little circle in the lower left, it'll give you an opportunity to hit your microphone. Or um, let me see here. I can invite you just so you can talk if you want to, because I don't want to not have this opportunity. Sometimes people want to say something and they don't know how to navigate the uh, the site so they don't know what to hit. So I don't want to get off of here if there was something that you wanted to share or say to Sherry. And you can, I don't see her, I don't see her popping up. So maybe she's, uh, maybe she's thinking, no, I'm good, I'm good. So Sherry, I want to, <laughs> I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, she'll call you and tell you afterwards. I want to thank you for the book. I want to thank you for this opportunity to, to be the first person to read it. And thank you for, for saying yes to my offer to be interviewed on the show. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. I have gotten a, a lot out of the book. It has, it has taken me back to a place of, of thinking about things and reconsidering some things. So I, I appreciate this on a personal level um, because it spoke to me. Um, several pages spoke to me, uh, I, ergo all the tabs. They weren't all just for the interview. Some of them are for me to go back. <laughs> um, so we will talk and we will stay connected. I wish you all of the best with this book. Oh, wait a minute. We have uh, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. If you hit the microphone in your bottom screen there, it will unmute you. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. If you're getting value from what you're hearing today, if you've had moments where you thought, I should write this down, or that is really interesting, I didn't know that, then I wanna invite you to stay connected to me. You can do it by going to my website, and my website is liveempoweredinstitute.com. That's liveempoweredinstitute.com. 
And when you get there, hit the subscribe button so that you'll have access to any events, courses, articles, or promotions that might be going on. You can also get my other social media outlet links there. That's for Facebook, where I'm at Live Empowered Institute, or my Instagram, where I'm at Dr. Lisa Summer Hour, and my YouTube channel. But if you missed all of that, just go to the website, Live Empowered Institute, www.liveempoweredinstitute.com, and you'll be able to stay connected with me there. Thanks. There you go. Hi, Sarah. Well, I'm glad Hi. you got on before we got off. What did you want to share or did you have a question or a comment? I had a comment. Go, go I just wanted it. to uh, say thank you to you, Lisa. Uh, my mom has worked really hard for the years on this book. And I've seen God do so much, so much work through her. And I'm so blessed that you were able to do this with her and know how much it means to her. Hi, Sarah. Is this the Sarah who graduated? No, it's her older sister. This is the older sister. Okay, well, nice to kind of almost meet you too. So you, yeah, you, you, you got a lot to be proud of in your family. Your sister graduated and your mom got this amazing book done. And thank you for coming on because I know it blesses her just to get uh, a kudos from, from you. So thank you for that. Um, I want to thank all of my guests, Connie, Nadine, um, Jacqueline, uh, Ann, Sarah, everyone. Thank you for being with us. Please, um, you can share this episode with friends. Um, if you come back in about two days, it'll be edited and it'll be available for replay. It'll also be on my YouTube channel. And um, Sherry and I will make sure you have links for those when they come out. But you can always join me here. It's usually Thursday night, 515 Pacific. And you can be a, a member of my live audience and come back and watch some of the replays here on Live Empowered or the series, Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm Dr. Lisa. God bless you all. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this series, Divorce is Not a Destination. You can connect with me on Facebook at Dr. Lisa Summer Hour, Live Empowered Institute. If you enjoyed this episode, recommend Divorce is Not a Destination to friends and family. Be sure to join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at fireside.com backslash Lisa Summer Hour. That's L-I-S-A-S-U-M-M-E-R-O-U-R. Catch replays on Fireside and my YouTube channel. Until next time, remember that life is the journey and divorce is not a destination. Live on Fireside.